You know, I'm preaching and teaching on um, Mary today, and um, I I thought it'd be great. So I went to Olivia Collins, who's in charge of our youth program, and I said, Olivia, do you think you could find a couple of teenage girls who are part of our youth program that maybe could give maybe just a uh, share a little bit about their their perspective on Mary. And so if they were put in Mary's shoes, how would they feel? So we shot this video this week. And so it's really, really good. So let me let, let me just show you this little video. A couple of minutes. Here we go. Totally unscripted. Wasn't that great? I just love that. I, I just was I just I was just blown away how articulate they were and how they put themselves in that perspective. So um, I've been using this book, um, "Light of the World" by uh, Dr. Amy Jill Levine, and she's just a gifted, gifted writer, but also does a great job of explaining the Christmas story. And so I'm hoping that maybe we learn something new today. Um, and um, and so the the chapter that when she talks about Mary, it's entitled "The Promise of Potential." And I've been thinking a lot about potential this week. Matter of fact, um, here's, let me just, you know, I always got a story maybe to share with you uh, to start off. So it's Monday night. And so uh, Mrs. Hendry informs me, informs me that we have a problem. It's about, I don't know, maybe five or six o'clock when I get home. And she says, Harold, well, let me ask you something. Does your cable, have you ever have a problem with your cable company? Does anybody else besides me? So let me show you a picture. This is what my cable looked like on Monday evening. And you know what happens on Monday, uh, Monday night, we got Monday night football. This is not good. And so, uh, and so I, I, I had become, it's become my spiritual gift to be able to figure out how to fix the cable. And so I could jiggle cables, I can unplug the cable, I can reboot the thing. And I don't even have to call um, the, the robot lady that's on Spectrum. I don't even have to call her, you know. I call the robot lady, you know, I'm talking about the animated person that's a person, but it's really not a person. And you have to go through all the props. I have figured out that I, normally I don't even have to call her. So I do everything that I possibly can to get reboot the, the spectrum uh, cable thing and nothing was working. So I had to break down and I had to call the robot lady. And so I got her on the phone and of course she prompts me and says, basically, so what's the problem? And I said, well, the problem is it's Monday night and Monday night football is coming on and I have no cable. That's the problem. She says, oh, let me find someone that can help you. And so then we go through all the prompts and she reboots my compute, my cable box. And then she says to me, the robot lady says, okay, well, if that doesn't fix it, call back in 20 minutes. So it, I wait the 20 minutes. Meanwhile, the time is clicking because tick, kickoff's at 8.15. And so it's doing its thing and I do a few other things and, and nothing works. So then I call back. So then what happens this time I go through, well, guess what? I get the robot lady back on the phone and she goes through the exact same prompts and I go through the whole thing all over again. And then um, I, I finally, finally get someone I could talk to. It's a miracle, right? Y'all understand what I'm talking about. And, and so meanwhile, in the midst of this, uh, waiting for all this to kind of reboot, I go to our bedroom where we have another TV. And, and what's interesting is, so Don wants to watch the news. And I said, well, honey, l- um, uh, let me reboot your, comp- your TV. And she says, no, don't touch it. And I said, why not? She says, well, if you reboot this one, then it might even not even come back. By the way, her TV only had a half of a screen. It was all green this way. And then so we could only get the top of the heads of the people doing the, the six o'clock news. That's what we got. Don't mess with my TV. At least half the news is better than the n- nothing is what she tells me. 
So then I go back and I finally get this person on the phone that's not the robot lady, but it's a real person and her name is Emily. And, and Emily, let me just say something. Emily is just, she is just like an angel sent from God. She is amazing. She has got hospitality down. She's got the whole thing about, you know, a customer service down. She was gracious. She was kind. She was considerate. She listened. We joked with each other and she was literally amazing. So she goes through and you know what's amazing about cable people now? They can actually get into your TV from somewhere else in the world. So she's in my TV doing her thing. And finally, she goes through all this stuff. And she says, I think I can fix it. And then we wait another five or 10 minutes. And she goes, oh, Mr. Hendren, we've got a problem. I said, what's that, Emily? She says, your cable box is dead. I said, it's almost 8.15 and Monday Night Football's come on. This is not what I wanted to hear, Emily. She's, oh, Mr. Hendren, I'm so sorry. But I said, Emily, is there a place? She said, you got to go to Spectrum store to go get another box. And I said, well, is there one open? She says, let me check. So then she goes and checks and he goes on her computer. She says, well, there is one in your direct area, but they just closed. Oh, Emily, 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 you're just going to have to go back tomorrow, Mr. Hendren. So Mrs. Hendren felt compassion for me and she let me watch her TV. At least I got to watch half the football game, right? <laughs> you know what I love about Emily? She's got potential. That's what I love about the Christmas story is that evidently God saw such great potential in Mary. And so as I'm, you know, thinking about my sermon this week, I had this little episode that story happened in my life. And I thought, you know what? That Emily, 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 she has got, she's got potential. I mean, I think that Emily would make a great CEO of Spectrum. I think that she is really, really good. Um, so then, then all of a sudden, so I go to Donna's TV and I start watching Monday Night Football. And immediately, you know what they started talking about? They started talking about the quarterback for, for the Washington team. Now, maybe, maybe you all don't follow football, but here's a picture of him. His name is Taylor uh, Heineke. And so, can you put that picture up of Taylor maybe? And so, there he is. And so, evidently, guess what? Taylor's an overachiever. Matter of fact, here's the interesting thing. Um, he went to Old Dominion and he evidently, no one really, well, maybe there was one person or a couple of people who actually thought he had potential. So he ended up actually, and there's only one school out of the whole country that gave him an offer, Old Dominion. So he decided to go there. Evidently, he started playing really good. And then evidently, according to Monday Night Football, that he played so good. There are other coaches who saw him and they started recruiting him to go to another school. And he says, no, 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 you passed me the first time. I'll just, they remain loyal to Old Dominion. So then he finally gets, well, guess what? He goes undrafted. I mean, there's hundreds of picks, but no one evidently saw him as to be in the NFL. Well, somehow, somehow along the line, someone recognized his talent and said, hey, kid, you got potential. So what happened was he evidently, and I didn't realize this until this week, is he got bounced around from, well, over the last five years, he's been bounced to six different teams. He went from like the Minnesota Vikings and then he went to the Patriots and he just bounced them all over. And he said, well, about last year, he ended up in Washington. And guess what? He's kicking butt. <laughs> I mean, and, and this is what the commentators were talking about, how now, evidently nobody thought he had potential, but then evidently he does have potential. 
He's really short for a quarterback. He's only like six foot, six one, which is short in the NFL. Usually they're like six four, six five to be really good in the NFL. But guess what? The other night, let me tell you something. Three or four weeks ago, he beat Tom Brady. Wow. There's something to this kid. He's young. But evidently, according to the Monday Night Football commentators the other night, that kid's got potential. Let me ask you something. Has anybody ever said to you in time in your life that you said, said, you know what? Hey, kid, you've got potential. I tell you, here's a true story. Um, This is the tale of two grandmothers. My grandmother, Hattie Lee Hendren, said to me when I was about 12 or 13 years old, we're sitting in a warm summer day in Richmond, Kentucky. We're sitting in the swing. We're having a grandmother and grandson conversation as we're swinging along. It was a warm summer afternoon. There was a breeze. And she says, you know, Harold Ray, I really believe that you're going to make a fine pastor someday. She saw potential, Right? She said that to me. Of course, she thought everybody should be a pastor, but you know, hey, she thought I should be a pastor. And of course, I blew that off at the time. I'm only 12 or 13. But, um, and then so, um, you know, lo and behold, I went through, I went to college and then I got through college. And after I graduated college, I had a hard time finding a job. And so I started working for my girlfriend's grandparents and they owned a farm and I was doing some farming for them. And so in the midst of that, for about six months, I, I've, I got the calling to go in the ministry. And so I ended up breaking up with my girlfriend and so um, at the time. And so then I had to go get my last paycheck from her grandmother. And so, because she was the matriarch, but she kept all the, all the checks. She wrote the checks. She kept all the family funds. And so I went to go get my last paycheck from them. And this is what she said to me. She says, so I heard you're going off to college or going off to seminary. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you're going to go in the ministry. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, what are you going to do after you fail at that? <laughs> That's a true story. <clears throat> the tale of two grandmothers. I got Hattie Lee over here, Hattie Lee Hendren saying, hey, you know what, kid, you got potential. And the other one who thought I was a complete loser. Anybody ever think, you know, hey, you got potential. Uh, Mary, according to, I think, in God's eyes, God saw that she had such great potential. And God thinks you got potential. Does anybody remember that old show, game show? Matter of fact, here's a picture of it. The, you remember the old game show called To Tell the Truth? Yeah. Do you realize that that thing has been on for like 31 or 32 seasons? That's three decades. It started back in 1956. And so, you know, matter of fact, that's what it looked like. And then this is what it looks like today. They're still going on. And you all know how that show operated. You all remember watching it. Um, so they have like three people. They got the celebrity panel. And then you got someone who is, well, you got the two kind of imposters who are trying to dupe you. And they're really, they're lying. But there's one person on that panel who is actually telling the truth. And do you know at the very end of the game show, do you remember how it always ended? And they would say, and so will the real so-and-so please stand up. So here's my thought for us to think about today. Will the real Mary please stand up? I mean, because you have to look at, well, let me just think about this. It depends on which gospel you're reading, which Mary you've got. For example, if you go back to the gospel of Mark, if you look at Mary in the gospel of Mark, she comes off a little, well, 
concerned about her well-being of her son and the decisions he's making, that, you know, he's performing exorcisms, he's, he's rocking the boat, people are a little unsettled with his behavior, her son, Jesus. Matter of fact, if you go to the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark, his own family thinks he is literally off his rocker. It's there. His own siblings. So there's this, in the court of the Gospel of Mark, there's this kind of concern that concerned Mary about uh, how her son is living his life, operating. Then you get to the Gospel of Matthew. And so Matthew, if you look at the Christmas story, um, Matthew's version is really looking through a man's eyes. It's looking through Joseph's eyes. Because um, you have Mary really more of a submissive role to, and dependent upon Joseph's decision because she, she gets this message from the angel Gabriel and says, hey, Mary, you're chosen. You're going to have this child. And, and so she goes and explains to Joseph that she's pregnant and that, of course, he's thinking, who's the father? And she explains to him that, you know, he's not the father, but the father's really through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I'm not buying it. (laughs) Really? Now, this is in the gospel of Matthew. But then finally, the angel Gabriel comes and reveals the whole story and says, hey, listen, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is all the truth. She's actually telling the truth. And so, you know, there was a place in which the story Joseph does, well, didn't want to disgrace her. So being a righteous man, he decides to, he's just going to dismiss her. But then as the story unfolds, but where's Mary and all that? Mary is just kind of like in the, she's like a supporting cast member in all this story. Joseph's kind of the key person on this. And that's just Matthew. You got the story of the wise men. Okay. So you got that going on in Matthew. So Mary in this part of the story is more, a little bit more complacent. She comes off a little bit more timid. So you got that Mary. Then you get the gospel Luke, which the kids just read just a few minutes ago. Oh man, I love the gospel. And what I love about this part of Mary is that she seems a more confident, more courageous you know, uh, she sings a song. The choir just sang a few minutes ago. It, she, she comes off like she, you know, she's, she's genuine and, and God has chosen her. And, and so we have this, this because by the way, and you look at the Luke version, you're not looking through a man's eyes. You're looking through a woman's eyes, looking through Mary's eyes in the gospel of Luke. Um, so you got that Mary. I love the, the Luke version also. There's that story. We only have it there in Luke, I, I believe, is that where Jesus is 12 years old and they're in Jerusalem and then they lose Jesus. And, and so uh, they get down the road and Mary talks to Joseph. Where's Joseph, Jesus? And he says, I don't know. I thought he was with you. And I know I thought he was with you. We've lost Jesus. How are we going to explain this to God? What will also save for the world, right? You know, so they go looking for him and they get to the tent. They finally all spend a whole day looking for him all top to down all over Jerusalem and they finally find him and they find him in the temple and then of course Mary says and typical mother uh, Jesus what were you thinking how could you do such a thing your father and I have been worried sick and then Mary Jesus says to Mary but mom didn't you know I'd be in my father's house and then Mary turns to Joseph and says why is he always right right <laughs> So you got that, you got kind of the firm mother, you got the, the, the maternal mother, you've got the confident mother, you got the courageous mother, and Luke. 
And then you get to the Gospel of John. Do you realize that you have the no name Mary and John? Do you realize that John never once mentions her name? She's only known as the mother of Jesus. I didn't realize that until this week. I learned something new this week. Nowhere do you find that John talks about Mary. He just refers to her as the mother of Jesus. We, we, we have this, oh, this, this different version of Mary and John that Mary comes off pretty confident that Jesus is, you know, capable of doing some great things. We have that story, oh, where Jesus is at a wedding. It's the first miracle of the Can- down at Cana of Galilee, the first of the seven miracles, the seven signs according to John. And it's that where they're down there and they run out, they run out of wine. And what does Mary do in that story? Mary turns to the servants and says, hey, um, do whatever he says. And of course, Jesus says to his mom, well, what, what's, it's not my problem. I mean, what, what do you want me to do? And then Jesus, I mean, Mary just says to the, do whatever he says. Next thing you know, Jesus is turning water into wine. So you got that version of Mary. You also, well, you got that side of Mary, but you also have this very, once again, this maternal part of Mary where she's at the foot of the cross. She's not leave her son. He's hanging. But she's not going to leave him hanging. Because she is going to be with her son. As they crucify him. We get that detail in John. Matter of fact, as I've shared with you all. And have taught before at Easter time. When they crucified back then. They, would, they weren't way up high. They, matter of fact, they were only a few feet off the ground. So people could see the horror of crucifixion. So that meant, as I shared with you, where Mary could have reached up and touched the chest of her son as he's doing his best to breathe. Wow. So we have, we have that side of Mary and John. By the way, she doesn't have a name in John. And then we have the version, the Acts version of Mary. And do you realize that she's in Acts? I mean, and, and, and she becomes one of the followers of the way. Do you realize that we're followers of the way? I mean, that's what the Christian, early Christian church was referred to. You, me, us, the, the, the first century. They, the followers of Jesus Christ were called followers of the way. And Mary becomes a Christian. Mary is following her son. Mary, according to the book of Acts, is right there with them after his death and resurrection. She is a champion, a champion for her son, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Why did I tell you all that? Will the real Mary please stand up? Right? I mean, you've got a little bit of all that. And maybe that's the beautiful thing. When you take all four of the gospel stories, including Acts, and you combine it all together, you get a pretty good picture of who Mary really is. Maybe the reason why God saw such great potential in her is because he realized that she was a little bit of all that and more, right? 
Uh, so we have this story today. I, I, I love this story. Um, uh, as we kind of think about it and reflect upon the story, and, and we find this uh, this little detail as we kind of kind of march along, and we're kind of you know once again trying to kind of figure all this out. And so we have we have these different words for Mary: concerned, courageous, confident, uh, carefree, called. And then I started thinking about well, okay, let's go back. To last week. And do you remember last week when I was teaching about the names of the key characters in the Christmas story? Okay. So, and the names have something to do with biblical history or something significant about the story. For example, Zachariah. Remember the story about Zachariah? Of course, Zachariah is the father of John the Baptist and his wife is Elizabeth and they're not supposed to have a child, but they end up having a child because the angel Gabriel comes to Zachariah in the temple and the word Zachariah, which means everything God remembers. That's his name. God remembers. God remembers what? The covenant. And then Elizabeth, E-L-I, which we get the word derivative of the word God, which means uh, my God. My God, which I refer to when Jesus is on the cross. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? So we got Elizabeth's name, my God. Then we get to John, and John's mean, God's name means God is gracious. Why is that important? It's because you remember there, were, there was a place in the temple where they were going to try to name Zachariah, name John Zachariah. And then Mary spoke up and says, no, 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 you can't name him Zachariah. You've got to name him John. And well, Zachariah, his father should have spoke up, but he couldn't because he was muted. So they're dependent on Elizabeth to actually say something. And she says, you are not going to name him Zachariah. You're going to name him John. And the reason why is because the angel Gabriel said, we're going to name him John. And what does John mean? God is gracious. And then we get to Mary. What does Mary mean? Well, there's a story. I mean, there's always this, what I love about the New Testament, the New Testament is so intimately connected to the Old Testament. So there's a story before the story. Have we heard that before? So where else do we find another Mary? Well, the word Mary is actually closely knit, connected to the word Miriam. Where is a Miriam? Well, so happens that you go back to the book of Exodus and there's this little baby at the beginning of the story by the name of Moses. And Moses' kid sister, guess what her name is? Miriam. When the Pharaoh calls and declares for all the ch- the, those male, male children to be thrown, the, uh, the babies to be thrown into the Nile. The reason why he was paranoid about that is because the, the Israelites continued to populate. And so their, their population began to rise and the Egyptians began to decline. And so the Pharaoh was paranoid that the, uh, the, uh, the Israelites were going to be able to overcome them. So what are we going to do? We've got to kill, start killing these boys. So they started... Think about throwing the boys in the Nile. So, well, Moses' mother, we're going to have that. Guess who's working behind the scenes? Miriam, the kid's sister. Hey, mom, let's put baby Moses in a basket. And I know exactly where Pharaoh's daughter bays. And they float little baby Moses down in that little basket, which is actually known as an ark. And then lo and behold, Moses is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter and she picks him up and says, there's a baby. And she takes him home to her dad, who's Pharaoh's dad, like a puppy dog. Can we keep him? (laughs) 
And then Miriam, the kid's sister, finds her way to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, you know what, by the way, you know, I've got the perfect nursemaid. Uh, she's just right down the road for Moses. I, I think that this would be a really good thing for your new baby. So Moses is actually nursed by his true biological mother, but he's living in Pharaoh's court. Guess who's working behind the scenes? Miriam. If you get, go on in the book of Exodus, Miriam is actually the first prophetess according, and, and first woman prophetess in the Bible. Miriam, she's a poet, she's a prophet, she's a protector. She's all that. So some scholars connect the word Miriam with the name Mary because it's connected to the Old Testament. And who's Mary? Well, Mary is poetic. We heard she's prophetic, but she's also very protective of her family. Jesus. By the way, did I mention the Gospel of John? Mary is at the foot of the cross. She didn't want to leave him hanging. Wow. Do you realize the most popular name in first century for a female in Galilee was Mary? Number one. Why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons. They think maybe it's connected with Miriam, the Old Testament. It's also, did you realize that uh, the word Miriam is also connected with King Herod's wife? Guess what her name was? Miriam. She was from um, a great dynasty. She was a princess from the Hasmidian Jewish dynasty. Herod married her for power because he knew, you know, Herod was diabolical. He was all about Herod. But strategically, the reason why he married her is because he knew that if he would gain more power by marrying a princess from this particular Jewish dynasty. But the reason why that some scholars believe that Mary was probably maybe, maybe named Mary along with all the other Marys in Galilee is that maybe they were naming her after Miriam, who is actually... King Herod's wife. So you got all that going on. So there is something to that whole story about Mary and her name. Then I started thinking think about this, this, this story. I, I love this, this part where Jesus is referring to his mother. This is what Jesus says. Because so when the women of the crowd spoke to Jesus and said, Hey, happy is the mother who gave birth to you and who nursed you. Jesus responded, Happy rather are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So Jesus' point was with his mom truly represented. You know what? She truly re represented hearing and obeying. I love that. That's Jesus' point. My mother, as he's referring to her, happy are those who hear God and the calling and respond to God's calling. Happy are those people. Because let me tell you something, what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you something. My mother, my mother, my mother heard and obeyed the word of God. No wonder God saw so much great potential in Mary. Yeah. Right, here's another little tidbit of information. I thought this was interesting. The word Mary is actually translated in the literal Greek through the whole Christmas narrative as Miriam. You go back in the original Greek, it's really not Mary. It's Miriam you read through. 
So we have these two annunciation stories. Uh, we got this first one. So we got Elizabeth and Zachariah story that we talked about last week. And then today we've got this whole Mary and Joseph and the Gabriel. And you, so listen, when you get an annunciation story, you know something big's about to happen. Something big's coming. Um, and, and so once again, here's a thought. Where else do we see an annunciation story? You've got to go back to look at the story before the story. Where else have we heard that? If you go back to, well, you go all the way back to Genesis, there is that story. There is that story where uh, Abraham has got a covenant with God and God says, hey, listen, you're going to be, as I share with you, your descendants are going to be as, uh, as numerous as stars in heaven, sands of the sea. And then Abraham says, well, how's that going to be? Because I'm an old man and I've got an old woman down here. You know, it's just not going to happen. And God says, no, it's going to happen. No, of course, in the midst of all that, um, Abraham has concubines and he has a, well, uh, Sarah has a, uh, also a, a maidservant and her name's Hagar. So Abraham has a child with Hagar. What's his name? Ishmael. And at one point, they're just kind of disbanded. They're thrown out. I mean, Sarah is not happy because they end up having Isaac and Isaac and little Ishmael are playing in the sandbox and she is not liking what's going on and Abraham said, she goes to her husband and says, something's going to give, she's got to go. Get rid of her. So Abraham takes little Ishmael and he takes Hagar and he puts him out in the desert. And then God, well, who, spoke, who shows up? An angel. Go back to the Old Testament, it's right there. Angel shows up to Hagar and establishes a covenant with her. It's the first time a covenant is established with a woman in the Bible. Establishes a covenant with Hagar and says, you too, your descendants will be blessed because Ishmael comes from the seed of Abraham. So we have this, this connection, these annunciation stories. This, so we got um, we got. Hagar and Ishmael, we got Abraham and Sarah, we got Elizabeth and Zechariah, and now we got Mary and Joseph. And so how it's all woven together. And whenever there's an annunciation story, something big is about to happen. Now what's also very interesting, this is, this is one of those parts where I think in the story that we have to understand and we have to put ourselves in the story because um, what I would call this life application, and this is what life application when you look at the story is this. Whenever there's a calling from God and there's this great annunciation, as I share with you all, there's going to be something big that's going to be happening. So God gets the people's attention, but there's always a catch. You know what the catch is? It's the response. I love that. So for example, think about, you go back and look at Jewish history, you look at their lives, you look at the New Testament, you look at our lives. When God comes and asks us to respond, we all have to decide how we're going to respond. And that's the catch. So like, for example, God goes to Abraham, says, Abraham, I want you to be able to pull up your whole family and I want you to move. And he says, Abraham's like, I'm perfectly happy here. And so God says, I've got something better for you. You got to trust me. So they moved to Canaan. Or that's that story about Moses and the burning bush. And God, how, so how did he respond? Abraham was obedient. He heard. Moses, burning bush. Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, do what? Me? I, I can't do that. 
I, I stutter too much. I, I'm a terrible leader. Go find somebody else. And God says, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I got it. You, 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 you're the man for the job. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. See, the twist in that story is Moses had to respond. Jonah and the whale. Remember Jonah the whale story? I mean, God says to Jonah, hey, listen, I want you to go and I want you to go to uh, Nineveh and uh, tell people, you know, about me. And you know what? Jonah goes the opposite direction. He goes to Tarsus. I'm, I'm getting out of here. That didn't turn out real well for him. Matter of fact, he ends up in the belly of a slimy fish. But it's the response, right? And so once again, we find in the story, God's calling upon Mary's life has everything to do with her response. No wonder Jesus refers to his mother, this is my mother, my mother, my mother. She heard and she obeyed. No wonder we find in the, the story over and over again, hear, O Israel. I mean, if there's like a mantra to the Bible, it's about hearing. Matter of fact, if there's a watchword to the, to the Bible over and over again, it's about hearing, it's about listening. It's no wonder Jesus says, let anyone who has ears, let them listen. Let them hear. Did you hear that? No wonder Jesus says that over and over and over again. Let anybody who has ears, let them listen. So once again, we find a story that, that Mary is actually very tuned in. No wonder God saw such great potential in her life. So we have this, you know, once again, let's just teach for a second. So, so when Elizabeth in her sixth month pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man by the name of Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. Hey, listen, Luke's a great storyteller, isn't he? I mean, once again, um, last week I shared with y'all, in the, well, the very beginning of Gospel Luke, right out of the gate, in the year of King Herod of Judea. One sentence. Everybody understands exactly what's going on. They knew that King Herod was a diabolical, crazy man. And so in the midst of, of all that chaos, God's going to intervene and send a savior of the world in the midst of all that? Really? Wow. Gee, so this is what's great, brilliant upon Luke as he's a storyteller. So we find this part of the story that all of a sudden we find that Elizabeth, six months pregnant, Find, and so all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up in Nazareth. I mean, is anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth? Do you realize that there's only like 200 people in Nazareth in the first century? I mean, 200 people? That's 200 people is right here. 200 people. That's it. Let me tell you something. They didn't even have a Walmart. Do you realize that? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So uh, Luke and his storytelling, I mean, this is what we, we got. I, I love this. So we have this, we know that Mary's a virgin. We know that she is engaged to be married to Joseph. We know that Joseph's from the line of David and the Messiah is coming from David. And we, we know that Mary has to make a choice. She's going to have to respond. Out of one sentence, Luke's a storyteller. And then, I love this part of the story. Then Luke tells us this great little line. Mary was much perplexed by his words and pondered what kind of sort of greeting this might be. The word perplexed there in the Greek means she was freaked out. That's what it meant. She's terrified. She's scared to death. Just like the kids just a few minutes ago testified. They would be, did you hear what I'm saying? don't know how to take care of myself she says take care of baby not to mention the savior of the world I mean come on it's amazing isn't it so one no wonder 
the reaction is she's perplexed. She's terrified. Well, like Herod, when he finds out that Jesus is on the scene, I thought I was the king of the Jews. Or Zechariah in the temple. Wait a minute. I'm gonna, we're going to have this baby? And he's, well, completely because he doubts. He's terrified because angel Gabriel shows. Do you see the details? Perplexed. And so then we, then we find the last little part of the story is that Mary ends up and has a conversation with, with Elizabeth. And there's the theme there is about joy. And the joy moves from blessing. And the blessing moves to hearing. Because when she enters the room with Elizabeth, do you remember the detail in the story? Because she's in the six months. She feels that John and her tummy is moving around. She responds to Mary which tells us a little bit about the details about, once again, when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's about hearing and about motion. Wow. So I close with this little thought. Did y'all, have y'all learned something new today? Okay. You didn't answer that correctly. Okay. <laughs> so here's the last little thought, okay? Uh, do you realize the first Christmas carol? First Christmas carol. Uh, you know, we all love Christmas carols. Silent Night, A Little Town of Bethlehem, What Child Is This? So the first Christmas carol is, uh, we find it on the lips of Mary. And the first Christmas carol goes, begins with, this, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I love the first Christmas carol. We just heard it, the choir just sang about it just a few minutes ago. And then, you know what I also I love? As I love that old little town of Bethlehem, I love that line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I love that. The, hope, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Hopes, hopes, hopes of the world. Fears, oh, wow, there's fear going on. There's, I mean, Mary's kind of terrified. terrified. Uh, I mean, uh, Herod's terrified. People are, they're, they're scared. Hopes and fears. So, you know what I found out in my life? Let me just be real transparent. That's the closest. You know, I go through my life, and I think that everybody in this room, let's be real, is that we all had fears in our life. I mean, I go back to my early childhood. I, I remember being afraid. I remember in my high school years, about being afraid about being successful and going to college and then going to seminary. And by the way, my ex-girlfriend's grandmother told me that was going to be a complete failure. That, that's a great way to start seminary, isn't it? Right? Without like encouragement. So, you know, I had all these fear. But, you know, let me tell you something as I've gotten older in life. Is um, I don't have to fear dying. And the reason why I don't have to fear dying is because I know that Jesus Christ came out of an empty tomb on Easter. And he's given me that reassurance. And that I can be confident in that. Let me tell you something. When you get run over by a truck, it gives you a whole new perspective on life. And I'm telling you, that is the honest goodness truth. So, you know, what? I've gotten this place in my life. I'm grateful for life, but I don't, I don't have to fear dying. And neither do you. The hopes and fears of all the years with thee tonight. My, grand, my, my, my daddy, when I was a little boy, we have Christmas morning, go in and see all the Christmas presents. They're everywhere. And, and so... I was so excited. I mean, I'm a kid. What do I want to do? I'm going to unwrap the presents. I see my names on it. And but before we could open up any of those presents, my father would always insist, now, Harold Ray, you know, sit down. We have to read the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. So I sat there attentive on the floor, looking at all the presents. 
And my father would read from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter, before we opened up the single gift. You know what I learned about the Christmas story? It's so much better than cable TV. Cable TV. 